Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Let me make a shocking kind of statement to begin with, and I'll explain it. And that is that if the gospel is the most powerful force for good ever unleashed on the world, which I think it is, would it not follow that the most powerful force for evil is a perverted gospel? And of course, that is what Paul and the New Testament writers are trying to combat. That is a perversion of the gospel. For John, the Antichrist is not some diabolical figure outside of the church, but the Antichrist are false teachers that have entered into the church. So too, Paul in Galatians is combating false teachers who have infiltrated the church. They're Christians. Maybe we could put that in quotes. Unfortunately, the false gospel that they are promoting is precisely the false gospel which I think has taken hold all around us and which is taught in most of the churches in the country that we're a part of. And that is we can say the false teachers are colonizers. They want the Gentile believers to become Jewish. These Galatians aren't Jews. They want them to be circumcised. They want them to observe Torah. And Galatian culture, it will just have to be done away with. It'll be erased if it doesn't agree with Judaism. And this is always what the false gospel will do. This false gospel, and it is the enemy of the gospel. Paul's not fighting simply Judaism. Don't get that wrong. He's fighting false teachers, Christian false teachers, who are Judaizers. And in this, they reify part of their own culture. They imagine to be Jewish is to be saved. So that you are saved through your national identity, your ethnic association, your keeping a particular even set of ethical standards. And I think the present day false gospel, strangely enough, gets its start in Galatians. And I'm going to show you the verse, we'll read it, but let's look at Galatians 2, 15 to 16. Before I read this, that what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians is to say that the church is the true Israel of God. But we can read this wrongly or we can read it rightly. You know, to say the church is the true Israel, does that mean it erases Israel? It doesn't mean that. Does it mean that the Galatians become like Israel? It doesn't mean that. And this is the explanation of the book of Galatians. What he means then by this notion that the church is the true Israel. But let's look at Galatians 2, 15 to 16. And I'm going to read an odd version here. Maybe I should read the standard version and then read the odd one. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, When we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's a pretty standard reading. Let me give you an alternative. We who were born Judeans and not pagan sinners, 
who know that a person is not released from the present debt of sin through works instructed by Torah only, but through the faith of Jesus Christ as well, even we believe concerning Christ Jesus that we are released through the faith of Christ and not through works instructed by Torah. And understood further that as scripture says, all flesh will not be released through works as instructed by Torah. I'll run down the difference, but the standard way, the wrong way of reading, not just this verse, but this verse is key in a wrong gospel, is to say, it goes something like this, that Judaism, you know, well, that's a system of law keeping, which teaches that you are only saved if you keep all of the law, and therefore pressure is generated as people try to be righteous by observing the demands of the law, so that they can be justified. And Jews realize that they cannot keep the law, and so they throw themselves on the mercy of God offered in Christ. In other words, they realize Judaism is deficient, or to put it in the vernacular, Judaism sucks, Christianity is good. It creates pressure and collapses because it's unworkable in this wrong understanding. And so no one can get saved by doing works of the law perfectly. Judaism saves no one. And so those who grasp the truth become Christians saved by faith alone, and they leave Judaism behind. And it is the moral and rational thing to become a Christian and the moral and irrational thing to remain Jewish. This is the wrong way of thinking, but this is the standard way of thinking. That is that, oh, Judaism is a works righteousness kind of religion. You're justified by works of a Torah. And Jews expect that they're righteous on the day of judgment. And then they fail because God will condemn them for not being perfect. Most Jews in Paul's day and most Jews today have, I'm not saying there aren't any Jews that hold to something like this, but this is not an accurate or fair description of Judaism, and it's not an accurate and fair description of the problem that Paul is facing. In other words, we're misunderstanding the, the issue. And what Christians have done with Judaism is precisely what the false teachers would do. What's going to happen to the, the false teachers are going to obliterate Galatia and Galatian culture for Jewish culture. And very often what Christians would do would obliterate Jewish culture, Jewish religion. But for most of its history, in other words, this has had disastrous consequences. The church, Christians, have viewed Jews with contempt. It, Jews have been denigrated, they've been ostracized, they've been persecuted. The stereotype of the Jew is very much a product of a Christian prejudice that has developed in this false gospel. And the Holocaust, I think, the horror of the Holocaust would have been impossible apart from this false gospel. Hitler's racial anti-Semitism, it flourished in European soil that had been poisoned by this kind of anti-Semitism. And so this is step one. We don't want to take what Paul is saying in Galatians as being written against Judaism. Paul is not dealing with Judaism at all. He's dealing with false teachers who are preaching Christianity under this kind of Jewish banner. 
So a Christianity that would make Judaism disappear repeats the problem of the Judaizers. It's just that now they're saying that we are the sacred people. All you Jews need to disappear, and we Christians are the sacred ones. Maybe we Christians of Rome, or we Christians of whatever. We know that Pope Benedict VIII, he said it's absolutely necessary for salvation that every creature be subject to the Roman pontiff. That is Roman Catholicism. And this began a process of Christianizing, maybe we need to put that in quote, that is the doctrine of discovery, that they sent explorers into the world to subjugate indigenous peoples through military power, through conversion, and what this conversion meant was an obliteration of the indigenous culture and very often indigenous people. Pope Nicholas V theologically supported the taking of land and the subduing of all non-Christians so that Muslims, infidels, and other enemies of Christ, they're going to be subject to perpetual slavery and their lands and goods are seized to support the Christian religion. And so the people inhabiting these discovered lands, well, they're enemies of the faith. So that the conquest meant dominion over the land. And of course, this develops in what we call manifest destiny in the United States, in which the indigenous people were not allowed ownership of the land or even any kind of humane self-determination. As late as 1946, a Supreme Court Justice Stanley Reed in a course case where the natives were trying to sell their own land, he said, well, you can't do that because it's not yours. That sovereignty, if you're not Christian, coincided, you know, with being owners of the land. We can just trace this all over the world. In other words, I'm saying that this kind of sacred nation notion, whether it's a Jewish sacred nation, a Christian sacred nation, is precisely what Paul is combating. The Dutch in South Africa, you know, they still commemorate their slaughter of the Zulu army. And they think of the apartheid situation in South Africa. Oh, that's God has done this. The breakup of Yugoslavia, you know, this is very recent in 1991, 2001. The ghastly incidents that occurred there, the ethnic cleansing, the Serbian atrocities were justified because Serbia was considered a sacred nation and it had its holy sites and territory and those who were exterminated, Croats, Slavians, Albanians, Muslims, even Catholics, they're not part of the, the sacred nation. You can see the same thing, the same problem in Northern Ireland, in both Catholic and Protestant. They both think of themselves as a sacred nation. You can see the same thing. Of course, the culmination of this is National Socialism in Nazi Germany. Germany is a sacred nation. And of course, in this country, we're facing the same situation right now. The fusion of right-wing politics and Christian nationalism pervades evangelical Christianity. Now, it has a history reaching back, you know, to the Puritan notion that the United States was a city set up on a hill. And of course, this quickly morphed into American exceptionalism or America first. 
the idea that we're the true Jews. They're taking the sacred nation status of the Jews and just transferring it to themselves. Maybe World War I, you know, we have Woodrow Wilson talking about the American cause as against Germany. Well, the Americans are the humanitarian ones. Billy Sunday picks this up in his revivals. And he says, well, those Germans, they're from hell. And we good American Christians are from heaven. And so the history of this terrible understanding, I think Paul is trying to combat. There is a lot at stake in misreading this section of Galatians. The genocide of native peoples, the taking of their land and lives, the rise of Christian nationalism, the presumption of a Christian privilege, or equating being a good American, being Christian, it overlaps with the subjugation of other races, other people, you know, usually it means white Christian American. So that a careless account of the history of Israel can endorse a kind of sacred nation status and it can be detected. And strangely enough, it's detected today in what is called militant Zionism. Faith and I, uh, I got Faith a wonderful birthday present. We watched documentaries at the New York Film Festival and one of them was about the rise of Christian nationalism, but it's very much connected with Christian Zionists who are a majority of the voting bloc in this country. As the story begins, this church in Kentucky, this little depressed mining town in Kentucky, and there's this huge church, a mega church, and it's one of the key supporters of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. It's the, and that is the biggest charitable organization in Israel. But this church is an unusual American conservative evangelicals who form you know, the major part of the electoral block for Trump, they collect hundreds of millions of dollars for Israel each year because they have this notion of Israel as a sacred nation. They're literally teaching what Paul is combating in Galatians. They, of course, are a significant political influence here. It's rooted in a kind of belief in the Messiah is going to return to Israel only after the temple is set up. Paul consistently is fighting this notion to describe the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. You know, he's saying, this is through Christ. It's not through the sacred nation of Israel. It's not that we become Jews, or it's not that any nation is a holy nation in that sense. But this group continues to promote this idea about Israel and to promote it about the United States. So John Hagee is the founder of the main U.S. Christian Zionist organization, Christians United for Israel. And this belief centers around the idea that the Jews, as a people, as an ethnic identity, are the center of the promises of Israel. Paul is saying in Galatians, no, Christ is the center of the promises not ethnic Israel, not ethnic Jews. And so Israel's occupation and oppression of Palestinians, you know, this is the strange part of the story. Many of the Palestinians are Christians. In the documentary, this young pastor, he goes to Palestine and they introduce him to a Palestinian minister. 
and they have a conversation and then after it with when the man leaves he said well I didn't want to say anything but actually I don't believe in Palestinians that is I just believe they're they're non-people they should just be wiped out they have no status and so about a quarter of US adults identify as evangelical Christians and 80% of them express this belief that the modern state of Israel and the regathering of millions of Jewish people to Israel are the fulfillments of biblical prophecy. And that this shows the return of Jesus is drawing closer. This Christian Zionism is now the majority theology among U.S. evangelicals, white U.S. evangelicals. And so this is the significance of Donald Trump moving the American embassy to Jerusalem. He did this at the behest of American evangelicals. John Hagee said, oh, you'll go down in history if you do this. And Trump believed him. Benjamin Netanyahu, they call him Bibi, has called evangelical Christians the best friends Israel ever had. Just think for a minute of what they've done. They've moved the embassy. They've recognized the sovereignty of Israel over the Golan Heights. They've canceled the Iran nuclear deal. They forged peace with Arab countries, including those who slaughtered the newspaper reporter for the Washington Post. And this flows from Christian evangelicals for Israel, Christian Zionists. Again, I'm just saying that's the false teaching in Galatians. You know, we need to say two things. That Judaism, it's not erased by Christianity, and Christianity is not erased by Judaism. Paul continued to be Jewish. He never stopped being Jewish when he became a Christian. He continued to attend synagogue. He goes to the temple. Now, he's not counting that as part of his salvation, but he never stopped being Jewish. And so, too, he's not traveling around to synagogue and telling people, you've got to stop being Jewish. The ongoing existence of Christianity, which rapidly becomes different forms of Christianity, it does not erase Judaism, nor does Judaism erase this understanding of Christianity. Maybe we don't need to say it, but obviously the original scriptures were Jewish. The new scripture, uh, scriptures are mainly Jewish, written by Jews. The patriarchs are Jewish. Judaism historically comes first, but it does not overwhelm Christianity. And that's the message of Galatians. Christianity is this breaking into the world of both Jewish and Gentile origins, but it's not dependent upon that world. In no way is Christianity dependent on modern Zionism or any form of a holy nation. Everyone Jewish knew, you know, that sin existed and, you know, that wasn't a works righteousness religion. They understood that sin was a problem, but they understood that God was dealing with that through the temple, through the sacrifices. And they understood that that was pointing to the coming Messiah. The question is not, oh, is Judaism complete in itself? The Jews never thought that. But Paul is explaining that Jesus accomplishes all that God had promised to the Jews. And so Paul is not really addressing Judaism directly, but he's addressing this particular group of Christian Zionists. They're the false teachers. They were the false teachers then, they're the false teachers today. 
They have a debased view of God. They have a debased view of salvation. And they preach a kind of messianic colonialism. And Paul is not describing, you know, he's not describing when we go from Judaism to Christianity, it's not a soteriological or a progression from Judaism to Christianity. Paul is contrasting two versions of the gospel, Christian Zionism, the Judaizers, and the true gospel. He's saying there's these two versions. One's the false gospel and one's the true gospel. It's not a compare and contrast between Judaism and Christianity. And so we learn from the enemies then that colonizers reify parts of their culture as God-given. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to have an ethnic foundation in Judaism or an ethnic foundation later in Roman colonialism or in American colonialism these ideas that spread to America with the Puritans with the idea that the colonists are escaping, you know, they're the true Israel escaping persecution John Winthrop, the first governor of Massachusetts, proclaimed that America is a city set on a hill and that the Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people and will command a blessing upon us in our ways. We shall find that God of, the God of Israel is among us. He's saying America is Israel. And that belief has continued on. It's already a misunderstanding of how God's salvation works in the New Testament, but it's taking this misunderstood teaching and saying, oh, this is now true of us. And in such a belief system, the indigenous people were considered against God's plan and acting against God's people. And they were disposable. And that's a very clear line that comes through Christian Zionism. Jerry Falwell, is a, he's now passed away, but was perhaps one of the most famous Christian Zionist preachers, like Pat Robertson of the 700 Club, they emphasize the idea that God will only support the United States and they imagine that God is working through the United States and then he's joined to the United States just like he was joined to Israel but this will only be true as long as the United States supports Israel no matter what Israel does it's just false teaching as blatant a false teaching as it can be this is not just a problem that we have in our church but will ultimately concern everybody in the world because the Jews killed by the Germans, the natives slaughtered all over the world by Portuguese, Spanish, English, American Christians, the Palestinians being displaced on a daily basis due to the support of Christian Zionists. You know, we just passed through Thanksgiving, the natives subjected to Christian theft of their food. Actually, that's the true story of Thanksgiving. Their land, their lives. Everybody in the world has a vested interest in whether Christians see salvation in terms of an, you know, oh, well, that's just an inward thing. That's a going to heaven when you die. Or is it an actual love and peace instituted through Christ in the church? I've been mainly negative. I've been, I've been painting a dark picture. But let me paint the other side of this picture. And that is that the forces of evil, while they can be trace to this false gospel, I think that the resistance to these forces depends on getting the gospel right. And this is true historically, and it's true today. 
That is the resistance to Christian nationalism, the resistance to violence, the resistance to abortion, the resistance to euthanasia, the resistance to colonialism. That has also had its impetus through Christianity, you know, the abolition of slavery. You could go through the slave nations that undid slavery. It's, it's typically like William Wilberforce, who was a good Christian man in England who saw to the abolition of slavery. You could trace the rise of worldwide peace movements, the rise of universal recognition of humanity to a Christian impetus. So what I'm saying is the false gospel has given rise to worldwide evil and the true gospel has been there to combat it. And that's the only ground I think that we have to stand on. The stories of William Wilberforce, Martin Luther King Jr., women's liberation, black liberation, third world liberation. It traces its roots to the church. And the same thing about Christian anti-nationalism. In this country, you know, the same time that nationalism was arising, maybe trace it back to the 1930s, there also arose among many Christians who began to think of Christianity not in terms of America as a city set upon a hill, but as worldwide missions occurred and the church spread out globally, they realized, oh, this is a global movement. This is embracing all people. The church is not exclusive. It's not based on nationalism. And so there was a global missions movement. Even the idea of United Nations Charter arises. John Foster Dole's that he is a Christian who realizes that his own nationalism needed to give way to a globalism. And even with the election of Donald Trump, it's Christian believers who have most clearly resisted evangelical Trump-like Christian nationalism. There's a group of American clergy, they call it Reclaiming Jesus. And they declared that we're in a fight for the soul of the nation and claiming that Trump's America First is a theological heresy for followers of Christ. Let me read just a portion of the statement that they've written. They say it's time to be followers of Jesus before anything else. Nationality, political party, race, ethnicity, gender, geography. Our identity in Christ precedes every other identity. We pray that our nation will see Jesus' words in us. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Michael Curry, I don't know if you remember, Michael Curry is the one who performed the recent royal wedding. He's an American clergyman. He says, our churches and our nations are part of an international community whose interests always surpass national boundaries. This group went on to say, we in turn should love and serve the world and all of its inhabitants rather than seek narrow nationalistic prerogatives. One other group, Christians against Christian nationalism, portion of their statement. Christian nationalism seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state 
and implies that to be a good American, one must be Christian. It often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy and racial subjugation. We reject this damaging political ideology and invite our Christian brothers and sisters to join us in opposing this threat to our faith and to our nation. This puts a renewed importance, I think, on one of the major goals that we have. Of, you know, it's the goal of the epistles. It's the goal of coming to church. And that is we need to sort out, clearly delineate the Christ, the true Christ, from the Antichrist. Because I believe we're faced with a counterfeit gospel and people are bowing their knee to the Antichrist thinking he is the Christ. Christianity has been deployed to promote the worst sorts of evil, but we have to say it simultaneously, it's also promoted the greatest of the good. The only way we can combat the great evil we're faced with is the great good of the gospel. And the key mark then of an authentic Christianity, an authentic church, it's his dedication to non-oppression, non-violence, non-colonialism, to peace. And the false gospel, as Romans says, does not know the way of peace. It may be that the false form of a faith, I think at this moment, isn't it evident? In which thousands of people have been sacrificed to mammon under the guise of Christian nationalism. There is no question that we are at this moment overwhelmed with a false gospel promoting violence and pledged to nationalistic narrow interests. And the false church reigns and it bears the mark of the nationalistic beast it serves. At the same time, there is a clear exposure, I think, at this time of the motives and means of this false religion. Is it not now more evident than ever that Christian belief, it certainly might be put to serving evil, but when it takes up the cross, it implements the true peace and love of Christ, that we have a ground in which to combat this evil. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.